and we're live. <laughs> but I'm not done typing. Hello, and welcome to Montreal Sauce. It's the first show of 2016, this January. Happy New Year. If you're not listening live, hi, and I hope you're enjoying the summer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're a little behind getting episodes up, as usual. Uh, and uh, so this is why you should listen live. Uh, exactly. My name is... My name is Chris, and uh, my co-host for the last three years now uh, is one of the most intelligent and kind people I know. Hey, Paul. Happy New Year. Hi. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Is it your New Year's resolution to be more complimentary to people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Actually, I gave up New Year's resolutions for Lent, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh so uh, where was I in these notes? I'm posting out where that we're live so people can come listen. Uh, so on this show, uh, we talk to makers, creators, artists, basically rad and talented people. Um, tonight's guest is no exception. He's a character animator who has worked on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the lead animator on an Academy Award-winning short, and currently freelance directing commercial animations in New York City. He's an animal lover who moved to the States from Syria in 2002, and he's worked and lived in Texas, Louisiana, California, I believe. So please welcome the filmmaker behind the award-winning short, Dirty Laundry Day. Hey, Jamil. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> you like that uh, big, long intro? I'm, I'm, I'm really sweating here. I don't know what to say. Thank you very much. It's just, wow. Thank you very much. Yes. It's it's my title is so long. I have so many things already. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> How, how's your New Year's been? Uh, very uh, low key and uneventful. In other words, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that is the way to do it for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm I'm getting too old for the um um uh, over joyous days. It, it it bothers me. I'd rather be by myself, you know, in a, in a little warm uh, apartment and just away from every possible human being. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why it's, it's, uh, I've, I've been, this is my third year in a row where I, I really would like to, I just, I'm spending my new year's Eve uh, in the house, just um, hanging out low key. I love it. No complaints. Nice. Uh, <clears throat> oh yeah. We have, Two. We have a lurker in the chat room, but we have two others. One is <laughs> one is my mom. My mom says hi, Jamil. So. <laughs> hi, Chris's mom. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I met Jamil uh, when I was interviewing him for work, and we had a really great chat. And so I just used uh, our podcast as an excuse to call him up again. Um, <laughs> It's is it Laham? Is that is that how I say it correctly? Yeah, Laham, Laham. Sure, yeah. Yes, I know through your um, – I really enjoyed your story. We'll have to try to uh, regurgitate it here. But uh, did you did you land in Texas when you first yeah. came? Or? Yeah, okay. it, was, it was 2002 when I first moved to the States. And uh, uh, just because my uh, family, my close family was living in Texas at the time, in Houston, Texas, um, this is naturally it – was, it was my first uh, choice. So yeah, I went there, and uh, that was my first uh, encounter with the states. Yeah, and when we were talking, you were telling me that uh, your your name was not Jamil when you were in Texas. What was yeah. it? Yeah, 
Yeah, it was Jimmy. It was. It's funny because uh, I wasn't that. I wasn't born in Syria. Syria is, uh, you know, my first language is Arabic. So, uh, and my parents, when they had me, they weren't living in Damascus. They were living in the United in, in the United Arab Emirates, UAE. And uh, the UAE is very known for their uh, foreign um, workers. It's kind of like the States here in a way. But over there, they have all the uh, Far East Asian uh, population, you know, migrating to the UAE and working there. And most of the um, uh, nurses are foreigners. They, their, their first languages are either Filipino or Indian or anything else. So they all speak English as a common language. And so Jamil for them was a little bit harsh and they were using Jimmy and then <laughs> as a name or a nickname. And then the nickname stuck. So my family, all my family growing up in the UAE and Syria called me Jimmy. They still do. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, when I came to the States, for some reason, people did not, did not like my first, my first re- um, interaction with one of the managers that I worked with is she goes, uh, what's your name? And I say, Jimmy. And she says, uh, what kind of name is this for Syrian? What's your real name? And I say, Jamil. And so she found that a little bit more exotic. So now I go by my real name in the States. So in the States, I'm, I'm known as Jamil. In Syria, I'm known as Jimmy. So there's, <laughs> there's the Jimmy story. <laughs> yeah, it, the other person in the chat room is your cousin. So, yes, he's refer, he says yes that they call you Jimbo. Yes, Jimbo, yes. <laughs> See, I told you, Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> so did you go from there um, – to write to Ringling in Florida or? So, uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I spent a little bit of time in, in Houston, Texas. At, at the time, I was still, you know, just like anybody, any freshly coming person here. I, I, I had to learn la- the language first. I uh, had to uh, build up some credit history. I had to just, you know, learn the whole lifestyle in, in its entirety. And, um that took me about two years between just, you know, understanding what I want to do, where I stand, um, what's what's this new lifestyle that I'm, I'm, I'm living. And um, after that, I ended up going to Florida for whatever reason and, um, do you know, did some research to, to, to see what I'm going to be doing in Florida after that. And I found Ringling uh, School at the time. And uh, they they were very famous for their computer animation program. And computer animation was something um, always, you know, going in the back of my mind. Do I really want to do it? Do I not want to do it? Is Do I have the knack for it? Um, yeah, sure enough, I, I just took the plunge and I applied. And um, yeah, I went there for four years. Nice. I just, so uh, with the uh, interviews that I've been doing for the job, uh, I just was lining up one for this weekend. And uh, he's also a former Ringling person. I was like, wow, that's small world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he did some time, uh, this interview that I have this weekend, uh, he did some time at EA. Um, and I was like, crazy. So did you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did I. <laughs> Is it me? 
Yeah, am I interviewing you then Saturday? Uh, <laughs> no, he, uh, well, he. It must be Jimmy. It must be Jimmy. <laughs> it must be Jimmy. Um, but uh, he was. I was trying to figure out what was going on because every time he listed like EA in his resume, it it was had like some word following it. I can't remember like at the moment, but uh, and then I didn't realize that there's actually um, EA is actually in Florida as well. But you, right. you went to California, didn't you, when you interned for them? Right. Yeah. I, th- I think they, they do have uh, Salt Lake City. They have one in Florida. And then they have uh, two in uh, California, one in Los Angeles. And the one I went to is in Redwood Shores. Um, each, each, each campus is famous for a specific a title or they you know they do different things i'm pretty sure i missed some of them um uh, you know excuse me if you're an ea fan or uh, a, a co-worker or whatever i mu- i must have missed one of them but yeah they they have campuses all over the country yeah i think there's probably one in vancouver because like every video True. company is there yeah so yeah. um but yeah i that makes sense now like i kind of wondered that because uh this guy's resume is like all of the games he worked on were like Madden, NFL, NCAA, like all the sports games. Right, <laughs> so, right. So I was like, oh, I bet that's all they do at that particular EA campus. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, uh, so you did you? I'm assuming. Well, I already know because we talked before, but you really enjoyed Ringling, yes. Um, Ringling. Yes, it was, uh, it, it was the, the, yeah, it was, <laughs> well, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I guess, over embellish it. It was painful, but it was the kind of pain that you, that you get after working out, you know, you know, you've done something right. And then the next day your neck, you know, you can't move your arm or your neck is, is cramping up. You know, it's, um, we, we had we, the, the program over there is so, uh, focused, on um, animation and filmmaking, and I intentionally overloaded myself because I felt like it was such uh, a privilege to be to have access to so much knowledge and so many uh, overqualified um, faculty um, that I wanted to soak up as much as I wanted. And it, yeah, it ended up being very exhausting. But you know, I, I look back at it right now. I wouldn't have had it any other way. It, it, it's uh, it was a great experience. I, I majored in, in computer animation. I half minored in film. I couldn't finish my uh, minor for obvious reasons. You know, I, animation was too demanding to, to do anything with it. And and the friendships that I ended up, you know, I left it with is is practically the most valuable asset really the friends that i made over there they're they're still my best friends now and they will always be it's uh it's an, an invigorating experience yeah that's uh that's i have a very similar story when i finally decided what i wanted to do with my life and went to university but uh yeah my senior year i it kind of fell into the same sort of situation that sounds like you were in where I was just like, um, I want to take all these classes before I leave. And so right. I, I just filled myself up. And then when it came to my thesis project, I, I had to take, I had to take an incomplete because I chose to do like a hand-drawn animation and I couldn't finish it. Cause I had like three other production classes. 
Right, right. It happens like you get overexcited and, and you, I mean, it's, it's understandable, you know, you, you're young, you, you have that, that momentum, you want to you you make use of, good use of everything in your reach. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, whatever, I, who cares about grades, really? It's, it's what you take away from it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that's where, you know, as you say, you meet your, you met your friends there. I mean, that's where I met Paul. So that's, <laughs> we met oh, at no school. Oh, no kidding. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, indeed. We had, uh, I don't, was it, uh, we had at least one class together. It seems like we had, um, sound for, uh, or sound design for film, something along those lines together. And then, um, later on, uh, I came back to the university to teach for a little while. And, uh, lo and behold, uh, Chris turned out to be my TA for the first semester. So nice. Yeah. You guys go way back, huh? <laughs> it's That's true. awesome. I wanted to say not really because I went to school later in life, but uh, <laughs> it, it is actually way back now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's that's cool. Um, and now uh, we didn't really talk about it much before, but uh, you're you're actually uh, still connected to Ringling, right? You mentor students there, is that correct? Yeah. Um, after we graduate, um, the, the the school came up with this new uh, program for the upcoming class, and um, the program is uh, I think it, you can call it mentorship, and and it's pretty much the um, uh, the alumni who graduated a couple of years back and now are working and have had enough. Um, ex- years of experience in, in the industry, um, they reach out and ask them to, to mentor uh, the new uh, classes, the new upcoming classes. And so, you know, I was one of the lucky ones to get uh, picked. And I've been doing it now for this is my third year uh, mentoring uh, students online. Wow, that's cool. And do you... Uh does that mean you head down to Florida and? Do oh no, it's a, it's it's all online. Um, they uh, it's it would be overly costly for everybody to, to go down there. Uh, what they do is that they have their uh, we uh, weeklies um, reviews with their uh, teachers, and pretty much they turn it into a panel where you have to show your work in front of the whole entire faculty of the department. And they really, they really rip you hard. I mean, those guys, they mean business. I, I remember like being broken hearted so many times because they don't hold back and they don't try to sugarcoat stuff. And they, they really tell, tell you, tell to you as it is. And, um, so they do that and then they have to, um, after they address the notes they get from their panel, they um, reach out to us uh, mentors and they get like a second opinion or a fresh pair of eyes on it. And then which makes the project that much better, you know, um, get get fresh um, foreign look on the whole thing because we don't necessarily see the process in there and what they're doing on a daily basis. We only get it like once a week. And so we get to give them that extra zest or that extra punch that might lack uh, their thesis. It, it's paying off. It, it, it's Some of the films, they, they're really uh, making me jealous sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I was just, uh, I was just thinking today, like, um, 
uh, fan films are like a really good example of just like, you know, fan films just used to be a bunch of people who just really enjoyed some sort of uh, myth or fantasy or television show or movie. Right. And they just had some cardboard and a camera and they went crazy. And now like fan films like are almost indistinguishable thanks to like technology and right. like stuff like from like the real thing. You're just like, holy cow. <laughs> Yeah, very, very true. It's it's uh, it's amazing how, I mean, that this is the great thing about technology is that you know it offers more power and it puts more power in the creative's hand, and you know it, it leaves it up to you to how far you want to push it or take it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. What is there like a quote about how it democratizes people? But yeah, it's, exactly. I mean, it's just you know it used to take. You used to have to be like in that certain club to uh, say get like your song on an album, and now you just need to release your song on YouTube, and there's a very good chance that you could make some money and go viral and be picked up somehow that way. <laughs> so yep. it's yep. really great. It only has to be good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the secret recipe is it has to be good. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm writing that down. <laughs> this is a note that I obviously need. Um, <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Um. So since we're still sort of talking about schools, uh, I do I do want to go uh, rewind a little bit because uh, I I also remember it, uh, it was kind of interesting to hear that uh, you didn't start out this way because when you were back going to school in Damascus, you were all about interior design, right? Yes, yes, I know, I know. That's uh, the dark spot in my history. Um, well, I mean, it's it was, um, yeah, I, it, in, in, um, in Damascus, being such a small country, um, we, we didn't necessarily have all the high-tech industries um, as developed and as advanced as they are in the States. So you kind of had to uh, like work with what you got. And at the time I was like more into the technical aspect of, of interior design. Um, you know, it, I, I was just, I was too ignorant to know how, what it takes to be, to be an, a real interior designer. I was taken by, um, the, uh, perspective drawing by its technique. Mm technicality and its deliciousness when when you when you're looking at an interior perspective all drawn by hand well rendered and whatever it's it just it's breathtaking to me and um so that was the first thing that that you know that comes to mind when, when i when i think about those days and um very quickly when, after i moved to the states and then i start like researching more those two years in, in texas that i was talking about is where i start like learning that oh i can take this knowledge which is you know uh building perspectives in in 3d space i can take it to a, a, a linear storytelling and motion and and um uh, acting and choreography that's when things start to change and you know ideas just come to crossing my mind and um yeah very quickly i learned that i really suck as as an interior designer i i have no attention to the to details the you know the kind of attention details that requires you to to be a good interior designer i have no interest in materials or uh matching light switches or any of that stuff 
So um, it, it was an easy decision. <laughs> well, I, I particularly enjoyed that you were saying <laughs> that you and your fellow students uh, didn't have the uh, software available to do a lot of that stuff right. back in Damascus. So you were right. hand drawing everything until some people got creative. Right, right, right. I, I it was um, it, 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 as a, as a prerequisite of being an interior design student there. Um, computers are banned. They you are not allowed to use computers, even if you have access to it. Um, so you are obligated to learn how to draw everything by hand, which mm. is the reason why I went there in the first place. Uh, but then, um, like Chris said, some of my friends cracked 3D Studio Max at the time. And um, it was, oh, my God, it was mind-blowing. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the moment I saw, I still remember it, it was just a cube spinning around. My friend just hit a button and it made a cube. And then he started spinning around in front of me. It was, he was just tumbling around. And I'm like, <laughs> this changes everything. Um, I didn't know what was going on. These guys were pretty much cheating in, a, in, a, in, you know, in, in so many words. It's just, they, were, they, were, they were pretty much building everything in 3D and tracing it. And they were making the most elaborate perspectives. And yeah, that that was pretty much my intro to 3D. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I imagine there's some skills involved uh, in that you learned in the interior design um, study that actually translate fairly well to uh, animation, not necessarily character animation, but um, you obviously picked up some manual drawing skills, but I'm thinking of things like, you know, the geometry of a space, figuring out kind of how you want to lay out the scene that, that people are in, things along those lines. Right, very much so. And in fact, when I first, you know, when I first discovered that, oh, um, like, Building sets is not only you um, is not only useful for um, interior design. You can actually make it in movies. For the for the um, initial period when I was doing all the research, I was going to be a set modeler and texture artist, and then that was that was just as daunting as actually interior decorating any space because you're pretty much decorating the space except you're doing it virtually on the computer. Mm -hmm. So that, that was, an, you know, another learning experience is that I don't have the patience to sit down and watch <laughs> a, a, a set being built slowly and make it believable. I, I was more driven towards um, visual, visual gags and motion and acting and, mm. and, 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 you know, line delivery and all that stuff. That stuff caught my attention so quickly. It was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it's either in you or it's not, you know, it's, you have to trust the process. You're learning, you go to school to learn a craft in, in some sense, but then more than anything else, you're learning yourself. Um, yeah. Many, yeah. many students go into animation thinking that they will be animating for the rest of their lives. Um, they learn very quickly that, oh, animation is not my thing. In, in, in my class, we lost at least, you know, 10 people after the first year in um, animation. Animation is time consuming. You just have to have that fire in you, that, that itch that, you know, makes you want to sit and watch the scene over and over like a hundred times, listen to the same line being said a hundred <laughs> times and then, you know, put your heart into it. Uh, 
it's uh it's tough work but it's it's uh lovely <laughs> yes yes it's uh we i think uh at university i had to do uh we did the old school like uh paper animation and um and uh we had the i have it in my drawer but i forget what it's called the the register so that you can have all your paper with the same tabs in it and so you can draw over everything and yeah we did like i think i want to say it was like a 15 second like piece of dialogue and we all did the same oh, man. the same like it wasn't a dialogue i think it was just one character talking but we all did the same piece of audio and then it was kind of fun to see what the different students came up with but still 15 seconds like that was a lifetime in drawing <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> It was like our teacher said, this is going to be a hard assignment. It's going to take you a long time and we have other assignments to do. So I encourage you not to plan big. Just draw the character saying these lines don't do a background or anything like that. Mm-hmm. that. That's a solid advice. Yeah. That's a solid advice. That's, you know, that's that's a great thing about technology. That's a really nice segue. Thank you very much. It's that, you know, like the, the 2D animation, for instance, it's it's amazing how much easier it is to do, not not the not the actual, you know, animation process, but the um, the, the the technicality of not needing paper anymore, of not having to wait to go and shoot your thing on a camera to see whether or not your timing is working. Technology made this so much easier now where you know you can draw right away on 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 um computers and you know if you don't like a drawing you know you never feel like you're married to a drawing once you put a pencil on a paper some some part of your soul goes into it i don't know what it is but you know you get married to that paper so quickly that you find it really hard to throw it away with seat with computers you don't do that anymore you just hit undo and it's done it's undone forever you know you can just draw it over again yep. it's it's very for um it's very forgiving and very malleable that i see no reason why every animator should like give it a shot nowadays it's 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 really um gratifying true yeah i actually uh, as I write for Episcure.com, I uh, I just saw a video that I'm working on. It probably will go up tomorrow. But uh, William Salazar, who is over at uh, I think DreamWorks Animation, um, he did a like a little YouTube video where he shows like he actually draws 2D over his 3D stuff. So uh-huh. he has a couple of examples like in Kung Fu Panda where he actually had like the set and everything there. And then he drew the panda in just roughly with his keyframes so that he could get the expressions and everything right. And then he started to put the 3D character in and try to match it. And, you know, it was kind of interesting that he's still doing like 2D drawing within the 3D program. He's like, I can just do it on a layer on top of this and then get rid of it. So <laughs> it's very freeing, you know, um, uh, the. the Traditional animation in its nature is very organic, as in, um, like you saw in, 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 for instance, Kung Fu Panda. In, in CG, you actually get your character assuming the what we call the T-pose, where you know your character is standing straight up with the arms out. And then you, as an animator, you have to pose it. And many, many times, I don't know why, this is just a human nature, I feel like, an animator 
when when you go from T to an actual pose, you don't necessarily your first try or your first instinct is not to necessarily push the pose as far as you could. Whereas with a drawing, you're starting directly from the pose you're seeing in your head. So you're you're drawing on top of your, or, or either on your paper or on top of your um, 3D work. And it's natural for you to go ahead and exaggerate these poses and give them more life. So in that sense, I feel like traditional animation is a lot more organic um, art form than CG, which is why I love it. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's interesting you say that because in the in the comments for his uh, video, um, I, I found it really interesting just because we've all seen probably lots of uh, DVD extras where, you know, you'll see the guys in Pixar like in front of a mirror or doing crazy things so that they can then make the 3D character do it. And uh, Salazar says in this uh, video – um, that he stays away from like live action references because um, especially if he wants the the project to be like really broad and animated like a cartoon, he's like he feels like when he uses the live reference, it makes it it pushes it more realistic rather than cartoony, right? So very true, very true. I mean, it, it is it is the animator's job to to see to study their uh, reference and, and somehow push it. But like I said, there's, there's this human nature where we like, we, we, when we get like very satisfied by our first trial or something like that, I don't know, but I do, I do agree with them. Some, some things, our faces are not really built to do. And, you know, some things we can't even do that Panda Kung Fu Panda can, you know, and it's a, I don't know. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. Uh, some some um, animators swear by reference. Some some others they want to stay away from it. And you know, at the end of the day, if you can deliver a believable, um, soulful delivery and, and acting, then you know it's Godspeed. <laughs> it feels like uh, it feels like motion capture can uh, you know the the real time motion capture kind of stuff can can play a role in that too but i i i guess that probably has a lot more to do with when you're when you're going for a cg character that's actually going to go into uh a live scene you're trying to blend those things more than motion capture makes those motions maybe feel more realistic but it still seems like there's a lot of room for the animator to be creative with that because it's not it's never going to be a one-to-one mapping of this person in this bodysuit to this character dancing around on the screen yeah yeah and and you know they could people try to overlook animators role and you know you probably you guys probably heard a couple years back the what was it what was the the british guy um uh Syracus, uh, uh oh yeah gollum the gollum guy i forget his first name you know trying to raise uh awareness about you know motion capture and whatnot mm-hmm. and he completely overlooked all the labor that went behind, you know, af- after they capture all this data. I mean, you know, I, I understand that uh, technology is, is, is moving fast and one day they may or may not get rid of animators and the data will be sufficient enough. But until that day comes, you know, yes, it's, you know, it's, it's exactly true. Like you said, Paul, there's a team, there's an army of animators that are cleaning up, 
um, plussing up poses, um, breathing more life in, into these characters. I mean, uh, the un, the unsung heroes, I guess, of CG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a good segue for. Uh, I told my um, my wife that you were going to be on the show, and uh, and uh, I, she said, "Oh yeah, you talked to him before, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And so she's like. So what does he have? And I was like, what? And she's like, well, the producers of the animated short that you worked on, uh, the fantastic flying books of Mr. Morris Lesmore, they received like the golden Oscar statue. But yes, uh, you as the lead animator, what do you get? Do you get a certificate or just a rub <laughs> on the back? What, what did you get? She wanted to know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess that's it. That, the, it's just a... Uh, a nice thing to attach to my name, but no, I wouldn't get the statue. The, the statues uh, or statuettes, however, whichever one it is, they only give them usually to uh, the directors. Um, I, I got to carry it around the studio for five minutes. Uh, it, <laughs> it's heavy as shit. And um, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, yeah, I'm, I, I have really uh, conflicted feelings about, uh, the Oscars in general and animation, but it's like, again, it's a nice thing to have. So I'm not going to deny that it is nice. Oh, sure. No. And I, I agree. I was just, uh, ranting on the internet, like the rest of the populace of the universe, um, about the Oscars today because they announced, (laughs) you know, the new, and everyone's all up in arms talking about how many white people are nominated. And I was just like, it's always been since its inception, a country club, like, what what yeah. makes you think that it's any different? Like, right? I mean, I've gotten pretty jaded as I've gotten older, and that's unfortunate. But yeah, there at some point the the whole Academy Awards lost its magic for me because I always feel like it's much like so many other things. Whoever has the most money and can advertise and do all the stuff wins. So, right, right, and that's exactly how yeah, no, that's exactly how I feel about. Um, you know the the Oscars for the best animated short. I mean, it's it's almost like a joke. It feels like they made up the whole category so that so they can stretch out the the um, the airing um, event so that they can sell more advertisement. It's uh, it's kind of ridiculous. They they're, they're giving just Oscars for anything just to make the event longer and longer every year. <laughs> it's uh, it's ridiculous. And I mean, you know, it. it and yet it's they fun. still have a bunch of uh, technical Oscars that they give away that aren't even part of the event. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Hey, as long as it keeps us longer on the air and it sells <laughs> more Pepsi and more uh, razors, hey, God bless. Keep it up. <laughs> Keep it up. So yeah. I do have to say that uh, I haven't seen the short yet, uh, the uh, Fantastic Flying Books, but I have, uh, I have purchased the app. Uh, for oh, my wow. daughters, both of my daughters, uh, watch it on iPad at least once a week. I hear, I hear some of the dialogue of it going on while they're playing, playing in the <laughs> other room or sitting in the back seat or whatever. They That's just awesome. love it. And, um, and obviously a lot of the, uh, the art direction and animation that went into the short went into the app. And I just wanted to say that, uh, it is, it is a, a lovely app. And they really enjoy it, and I love how beautiful it is, and that they're kind of developing an appreciation for 
you know, good animation as part of that too. That's awesome, man. I'm I'm glad I'm glad it, it's still paying off. It's it's been like I don't know six years now ever since <laughs> film, but it's it's really it's really nice. That's, I guess that's the nice thing about it is that you know the it, it's timeless. People still buy it mm-hmm. and, and use it, and they pay compliments every time they use it. That's that's awesome. It's uh, I talked. I think I talked to Chris about you know Moonbot when when I was there. The studio was very much driven by artists, and they you know it was actually established by. Uh, illustrator uh, William Joyce. Um, so, so you can see his yeah. breath and yep. his and his style all over it. Um, it it's, it's very it's very much his baby, and um, uh, the studio in general focuses so much on art that that every piece comes out of there is is very. Um, it has its own character and it's, it, its own style. Um, I'm just waiting for the day they just, you know, rip it apart and, and start making big, big stuff. I'm, I'm just counting the days. Yeah, I, I actually uh, I enjoyed uh, your story about when you got there, too. Right. Because you, you told me that uh, when they when you got the call from Moonbot, you were like that was sort of uh, when all of our. We were sort of in that economic in decline and you weren't doing much of anything and except for like iPad animations. And so. Right. Right. I, at, the, at the time I was uh, I was still in Los Angeles. After, so after I finished uh, uh, working on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, uh, we, we the, the studio just went into a rut and they let us all go until they figured out what they wanted to do. So I decided to to go on and do little, you know, smaller things. That that was just what was available. So I go to I went to to studios that were doing at the time. That was probably the same time when like iPads were that was probably the first iPad when, when the first iPad came out was mm-hmm. like 2009 or 10 something like that. Yep. Yep. Um so everybody has these awesome toys that, you know, don't necessarily know how to monetize. So uh, people were hiring animators and artists like over like very highly developed artists to work on these little apps that were supposed to be given away for free at the end of the day and hope to buy some assets or whatever, (laughs) or buy extra stuff on it. So I was doing these things and not necessarily too happy with it slowly, just my soul dying um, it didn't help that I wasn't necessarily enjoying Los Angeles as a city. Mm. And uh, at the same time, my friends on the other side of the the country, they were they were pretty much uh, slowly building up and establishing Moombot. And when they were in, in good place to, uh, you know, pull the trigger on the production and bring on animators and all the rest of the team, they called me up and they said, Hey, we're starting a little production house in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, at, you know, at the time, all I knew was either Baton Rouge or New Orleans. I didn't even know about what Shreveport was. Um, nonetheless, I said, sign me up. I'm in. Um, so I pack up. Um, and I drive cross country and uh, we get there and the space wasn't even ready. We were just bouncing from one space to another. 
Um, we were actually tracing drawings on the windows for the 2D part. There's a 2D part in the short film. So we didn't have our computers. We didn't have our Cintiqs or Wacoms. We didn't have <laughs> animation tables. I literally remember an animator standing right behind me. I had this window right behind me, and they were literally leaning on it and drawing on it, animating on the window. It was unbelievable. Like, it didn't matter how shitty the situation was. We were willing to make it work, and it was the most amazing time ever. Um, and then not long after, the, 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 our space, our designated space, was ready to go. And so we moved in full steam, uh, unboxing furniture and computers and plugging it in and, and everything. It was literally the, the happiest move, the happiest time in my life. Um, yeah, and then uh, and 10 months after that, 10 to a year, 10 months, to like 12 months, we pretty much wrapped up the short. And thankfully, it, it paid off. Otherwise, it would have been painful. Painful. <laughs> Imagine after all that work and all that anticipation, all that excitement, and then it goes nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're still going to that's a lot of studios can't say that. I can't, I mean, there's just so many that like start out so strong and then fly away. I know it's a, it's a tough business to stay, to stay in, but you know, knock on wood, they're, they're still doing it. So I, I'm, I really hope to see something big come coming out of there. Cool. Yeah, Paul. Uh, Paul is probably still in the game, but uh, we were both <laughs> we were both in the iPad game around that time as well. Like everybody wanted an iPad app. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, it, it's. I don't know, man. It's just like anything else. You have to trust the process. People thought, you know, people treated it like they would treat a a TV production, and they would waste all this money, and then very quickly they learned, oh. We can't be doing this. It has to be done some right. other way. Yeah. Yeah. I, you just have to have a good uh, – I work at a marketing firm now, and so we we have people come to us that are like, you know, what do, what do we do? Do we do traditional print stuff? Do we do a TV spot? Do we do an iPad app? Do we do a website? And – you just have to make you just have to look at your strategy first like what are you trying to tell people what is exactly. what is your thing what do they want and let's worry about the nuts and bolts of what we what device we tell it to them on once we figure out what your actual message is you have a story to tell let's figure out what that is first right right yeah and, and that's that's the most important part is that what kind of story you're trying to tell too like is it are you trying to sell stuff or are you trying to tell tell story? It's uh, it's amazing what how how um, it's it didn't necessarily change the business in a way. It's it's a business model in and of itself. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's not necessarily film. It's not necessarily games. But it's like some sort of a in between mix. I don't know. Right. I'm right. I myself I'm not a fan of working on apps. Um I I I, f- I feel like it's um it's very um controlling and very limiting especially if you're working on like interactive stuff mm-hmm. like games where you have to animate cycles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I try to stay away as as much as I can. Uh I never enjoyed it. I tried it. I never enjoyed it. Um it's just not not for it's just it's not my thing it's just not my thing sure uh, yeah and uh some people i know some friends of mine they 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 love they love doing this stuff so um i you know 
to each his own. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I enjoyed yeah. playing them. <laughs> <laughs> Just That's so I don't funny. sound too negative. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy but, I enjoy making them quite a bit, um, but I'm more on the uh, technical programming end as opposed to you know doing animation and and uh, and things like that. And some of the some of that work can certainly be tedious um, and and not necessarily all that rewarding at the end. It's like, okay, it looks, it looks fine. <laughs> like you right, said, it's right. a, it's a looping animation and it looks fine. It's not right. going to call attention to itself. It really needs to be out of the way so that the interactions work. And that's, um, that's where the fun part of making an app I think is, is figuring out what those interactions are and how the whole thing plays together and not necessarily the, you know, the the little implementations of all the little teeny tiny details that if you don't get them right, it makes it feel like crap. And yet at the same time, if you do get them right, um, nobody, nobody addresses them. Nobody realizes it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, it's actually, you know, I agree with you. And, and surprisingly enough, um, like not too long ago, I for some reason, I I just got into Python and I hmm. start like learning a little bit. Like I just wanted to dig into it because you know the the base language now Python works with Maya, which is the software that we use in animation. So uh, practically, I can write tools for myself to make my workflow a lot faster. Sure. And yep. surprisingly enough, I was actually enjoying learning uh, Python, and it made sense somehow. Figuring out how the machine thinks or that logic, how like trying a couple things and failing and realizing yeah. where you fail communicating with a machine was like, like it was like a, like a murder mystery. Like, Oh, I, <laughs> now I know how you think so I can tame you in a way. Is that some like yeah, sick sure. fantasy of some, of some way? Like, Oh, I understand this machine now. Um, and I enjoyed that a lot more than actually doing the, the technical animation. I don't know how the f- brains work man i'm sorry am i am i not supposed to curse i'm I'm no you can curse don't worry about it thank god (laughs) (laughs) no i i'm with you like i the i don't know a lot of uh programming stuff um but i understand what you're saying like the satisfaction of like solving the mystery but um certainly like the programming languages have gotten so much more complicated that it it, I just remember trying to do action script when I was doing animations in Flash. Yeah. And, like, there was just like normal language, there was, like, three ways to do something, but only one of them is going to work, even though they all <laughs> the same functions do the same thing. And I remember that being totally maddening. But uh, as you explained it, I was just thinking, like, it is nice to actually understand how a machine works because a machine only works from ones and zeros. It only knows off and on, and you just have to figure that out where – you know, if you ask your wife, like, hey, why didn't you pick this up at the grocery store? You're going to get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As somebody who does a lot of programming, the thing that's frustrating in programming is not usually the computer. It's usually whoever figure, whoever wrote the programming language, because part of it is you're teaching the computer how to do things in a very logical fashion. But the other part of it is you have to use all of this reference material to figure out, okay, in this in this language that I'm writing, what are the words that I need to use and what's the vocabulary that I need to use to get the computer to understand that I'm doing this thing? And, and the order. 
Yeah, and the, exactly. You tell, it's, yep. it's amazing how like we think that we know logic as humans, but then until you actually work with a logical machine, <laughs> you do not know logic. It's so weird. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we we never really talked about uh, before when I talked to you much about uh, cloudy, but that was like almost right out the gate of Ringling. Like that was almost your first assignment, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was the the luckiest thing that ever <laughs> happened to me. Really, um, um, I, I you know, like I said earlier, I really really hammered myself through through um, Ringling. I, I really worked hard on myself, um, and luckily it paid off. I, I was I was in a very very good place um, before midpoint in in my senior year. And um, se- second half of uh, the year in, in uh, Ringling, I feel like I'm I'm uh, I'm a spokesperson for for Ringling now. Um, <laughs> they they actually invite um, professional artists from the industry to give us critique. Um, that was my days, you know. I, I don't know if that still is a thing with the mentorship and everything, but regardless, so so they invite this this uh, animator that was a Sony animator at the time. Um, I forget her name. Tanya, her name is Tanya, and um, and and then so she, so she sits through our our class and then she watches the thesis f- with each with each student. She watches see the, the short film thesis and she gives her thoughts and whatnot. And so she happened to see my um, thesis in a very advanced uh, stage, and so she um, she just straight up offered me. You know, after the class, she straight up offered me. Uh, an, um, uh, to go to Sony, and um, at the time I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm 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 a big f- shit now. I got a job already." Um, and and so yeah, that's that's what happened. She 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 offered me. I said yes, please make the offer. Sure enough, she goes back to LA. I, I hear back from them, and um, uh, I think within a week they call up, they make an offer. Um, and, and I said, yes, at the time I was like, this is it. I I don't want to play the nervous game. I'm not going to wait for more. Actually, I waited a little bit, but then I didn't want to wait longer. So then I said, yes. And at the time, um, they, they told me you will be working on cloudy with a chance of meatballs. And that was probably the longest title ever made in the history of animation <laughs> and teaser films. I thought that was like, you know, in film, usually they give you a fake title so they don't give away the title in, in case of any leak information. Or whatnot. I thought that was a fake sure. title. <laughs> um, and I and so I go in and, and I research it. And sure enough, it's an actual it's an actual uh, children's book that I've never heard of. <laughs> Um, so I said yes to the project. I signed up and I then, uh, turns out to be one of the most awesome animation driven shows ever. Um, uh, the directors were first time directors on it. They had great sense of humor, great sense of their writing was amazing. Um, they were very well aware with their, um, of their own, um, limitations, because it's their first um, work as uh, directors, they were open to a lot of um, ideas from anywhere. They didn't care where the ideas came from. If it's a good idea, let's talk about it. And they made it very easy and accessible to, to talk to them and pitch ideas and, and dailies and everything. Um, I can honestly tell you there's 
aside from living in LA, there was zero things to complain about in, in that job. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember you telling me about the directors, how they just like sat everyone down and said, hey, we've never directed before or done an animation, so please help us learn instead of the usual sort of Hollywood, like, don't tell me anything, I'm the boss. Very much so. In so many words, they were like, they were always very appreciative to anything we said. Um, like, we, you know, during dailies, sometimes we have a, a quote unquote gag pass where you can actually animate your shot, but then if you have extra whatever half an hour you can you can whip out some gag of a shot you know if if a shot looks a little suggestive you know some shots sometimes give away after you watch them in a loop they they start like suggesting other things um so if you actually tweak the shot to actually suggest it and get a laughter at it in dailies that's awesome um some of the actual shots and some of the gags that ended up in the movie came out of that mm. Like an animator just comes up with a fart joke, for for instance, and if it was suitable or if it was like funny enough to them, I'd be like, let's make this the actual shot. And it was awesome. You know, like the, the, this way the animator felt ownership over the idea, over the laughter, o- over everything. And, and the directors looked good. And the, and the, you know, the movie was, you know, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. I mean, who does not know that movie? exactly that's really cool did did any one of you guys ever read the book yeah we uh we have the book it's so did you grow up like reading it because i i you know i i had to buy it after i i accepted the job and then i went out looking for for the book and i found it and i read it afterwards and i was like the whole time i was thinking to myself how the hell are they going to turn this into a feature film (laughs) But, you know, they were they were clever enough to take it to a whole different, you know, they took the concept of it and then they they turned it into what it is. Yeah, I would say I was aware of it uh, when I was younger. I don't think I read it when I was younger. Uh, I don't think I really read it until um, until we had our girls and I started reading them uh, bedtime stories. But that was that is a bedtime story we've read a number of times to my girls and they love it. Because it's so, you know, it's so fanciful. I know. It's so funny, fancy, and lighthearted. Like, it, it is, it's the perfect combination. Mm-hmm. Nice. So then we'll have your girls on the Film Frown podcast and we'll watch the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Wait, isn't the Film Frown supposed to be about bad movies? <laughs> what are we saying, Chris? No, 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 no. Sorry, Jamil. No, uh, (laughs) you're you're right. It is about bad movies, but I'm actually thinking for next season, we're going to watch a good movie or two just to reset our brains because a few of our friends who have been on the show and reviewing movies with us are like, I don't even know what good is anymore. We've watched so many (laughs) bad movies. I was going to say, what is good movie and what is bad movie anymore? Yeah. Yes. You know, if you if you get seven sequels for Fast and Furious, is it really bad? I don't understand anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Am I going crazy? Yeah, yeah. That's an I that I love that example because that is certainly a movie that when it came out, I was like, yeah, no, this does not work. And now seven movies later, I've seen all of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is good and what is bad? 
Exactly. It's uh, actually a question we always bounce around sometimes. And, I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very well known around my work circle to be the uh, negative one. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think of myself as the critical one. But, you yeah, know, my sure. coworkers like to call me negative one. That's 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 all right. But, you know, sometimes even me, the negative one, I, I, I just I I don't I, I don't see a way of winning my argument when, like I said, you know, movies like Fast and Furious ends up being remade seven times. I'm like, it's like, okay, well, I guess somebody loves it. And I have no right to say that it's any worse than, than the Godfather. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's a, maybe I'm just getting tired of, of fighting, fighting the fight. Sometimes I just, I don't know. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about it? We we all have individual tastes, so there's that to take in co- into account. But yeah, there's always those like jaw dropping moments when someone says, you know, oh, I love this movie, and I just like <laughs> can't keep my mouth shut. And be like, what the what now? Like, um, but yes, you're you're in good company now. See, I wouldn't have I would have taken you for the negative one after our first chat that we had because you seem so positive. But uh, I guess we didn't get critical necessarily about films because. In this particular instance, I'm always the negative one. Paul starts out his movie reviews with, Chris isn't going to like this, but. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, uh, I guess, yeah. And I see how people can see it as negativity because after all, I mean, let's face it, out of a whole entire year, you have about like 70 to 100 films that come out. I don't know, however, I'm, I'm just throwing numbers. And then out of those there's only really like a handful of watchable stuff yet somehow, you know, those watchable movies are almost forgotten almost every year. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the Oscars have to bring for us this, this, this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, What, what kind of diverse picks they're going to put in front of us so that we can (laughs) sample new things we've not seen before. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because oh, everybody like uh seems to be in an uproar when i was uh sort of gauging twitter today as i was working about um maybe that like ex machina didn't get enough uh oscar noms and i was just like i watched that movie and it just did nothing for me but now i'm in the minority here because everyone thinks it's really great <laughs> I mean, you know, this whole thing, I don't know. I mean, I'm guilty myself of really, it's it's entertainment. At the end of the day, it's just another show on on TV. If you have TV, you're watching it. If you don't, you're probably doing better things. Um, But I mean, when the hell did filmmaking become a race? Like I, I feel, I feel sometimes bad thinking about filmmakers as um runners or as athletes like they have Mm -hmm. to prove to each other that they're better or or you know i got you you know i'm better than you like when did that happen like when was that a thing why did why does it have to have so much weight to it it's uh i i don't know i don't know i don't know how i feel about it anymore again it's probably the uh, age thing yeah, no, I mean, it's it's one of those it's that it's that awkward thing where you get like as you get older where it's like 
when you truly are like a creative and an artist, and I shouldn't even say those words like truly are, like everyone has a, sec- a, bit, a bit to them that does creative things and stuff. But it's like when you are that sort of personality who this is what you want to do, it's like, yeah, um, uh, like one of the other interviews I did for Episcura, someone's like, you know, when I sit down and I do something, I do it for me. I don't think of like my audience. And I was like, damn, that's like an artist thing to say. And that's really smart. And that's probably why this person has a decent amount of success because they're inspiring themselves because they're making something they like. And I was like, but when you get older, it's all about like, how do I get food in my mouth and a roof over my head? (laughs) I need to make money and think about the audience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's. I don't know, man. It's it's an an unfair game. It's like you have to pick one or the other. Um, you either you either do your thing and um, live, you know, lower lower life standards, or you sell out and try to do Oscar quality stuff, you know, and uh, and then be on top of the world. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's a really tough game. I don't know. I don't know what's uh, the perfect combination. I think to, go ahead. I, just, I was just going to say, I think you also need to, um, you also need to, uh, I guess if you are going to race with someone, it needs to be yourself and you need to judge yourself appropriately and not by the standards around you. So, you know, you said, you said, you know, do your thing and maybe live below the standards. Like you exactly. can, exactly there's a lot of ways that you can probably do something you love and have a standard of living. One of our former guests a number of years ago, uh, she makes uh, clothing and accessories and things like that. Sally Ann Kay from recycled fabrics. She doesn't use new fabrics. She recycles old things and she sold them on like Etsy and then moved to a big cartel website and goes to art fairs. And it never seemed like Sally wasn't doing well financially. She doesn't have a mansion by the river, but she's happy, right? Like you, you almost have to gauge happiness over like that extra bedroom in your house. Do you need yeah. it? Yep. So that's true. That's true. <clears throat> right on, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it, I guess it's, it's the, it's the season's conversation. So it's, uh, it, it seems fitting. Well, and that seems like a fitting place for us to end part one of our talk with Jamil. Uh, go check out Dirty Laundry. It's a great animated short. Uh, you can find Jamil online uh, by heading first, of course, to MontrealSauce.com, where you will find the show notes for this episode. We'll have all kinds of links to uh, Jamil and his work, uh, as well as uh, myself and Chris. And uh, the Summer of Sauce rolls on next week with part two with Jamil. So we'll talk to you then. Bye.